Hi, my name is Eric. And I'm Shalila, and this is Are You Still Watching? A podcast about movies and their place in our culture. And today, we have something very exciting indeed. We have a guest. Woo! Sound of applause. Our first ever guest episode. Oh my gosh, I didn't realize I was the first one. I am so honored. Oh, very exciting moment. Uh, but the wonderful voice you're hearing right now is that of Jordan Tilly. Woo! Hi! Jordan Tilly is a wonderful person who is, you know, a very capable professional in her own right, but in my heart, most importantly, my very, very, very close friend. And what we all three have in common, apart from, you know, spending several hours talking into a microphone today, is we all went to Northwestern! Yay! <laughs> Go cats. Woo! So, Jordan, who are you? You know, that's a great question. Uh, I am I am a journalist. I am a broadcast morning news producer. Um, so I do a lot of media consumption, but I really do love just kind of delving into pop culture stuff, especially, you know, sometimes it can be a very nice escape to have those conversations. Yeah, and we talk about it a lot. So I'm very excited for our listeners to hear your thoughts on things, but also specifically this movie that we're talking about today. Eric, what movie is it? So we are talking about Into the Spider-Verse, uh, which was a, uh, uh, I guess not really like a a surprise hit. Is that what we would call it? Like a, it definitely felt like a movie that everything was stacked against it uh, in terms of what would be considered a successful blockbuster. Uh, and it was sort of a, a surprise hit, lots of attention, um, got an Oscar uh, win, deservedly so. Um, although, and something maybe we can talk about at some point, it did not do like stupendously at the box office. It seemed like, uh, I think the general consensus is that it was underwatched. And then later when it came to Netflix, it sort of had like a, a second life, which I think was good. Indeed. Yes. And it was a 2018 film, I think? Yes, it was. I actually read today, it reminded me that it was actually out the same year as Black Panther, which I think is fascinating because the two are very separate in my mm. mind. I didn't realize that. Oh, you're so right. Oh, yeah. I guess because they came out really far apart, right? Black Panther was January, February? Yeah, Something like so. that? Of, of uh, Close to Black History of Month, 18, I remember. And then... Right, and then Spider Verse would have been November, December. So yeah, I get, I do forget that they came out at the same time. That's weird. Yeah, it was twelfth December. Okay, yeah, that feels a world away. Interesting. Interesting. I almost don't know that I would have put Black Panther before this movie, like even even by months in my head. But that's just that's just a mental timeline. Yeah, for me. I didn't either. So what I'd like to know first is, I obviously we've all seen this movie, but I'd kind of like to know like. What's your I've seen this movie story? Like, you know, what what was the why did you go see it? What were the conditions in which you saw it? That kind of thing. Like, you know, what what brought you to Spider-Verse? Yeah, Jordan, you want to kick us off? Sure, I can do that. Uh so I had just moved to Houston, which is where I had my first job, and uh, you know, that, that first job energy living in a new city where I didn't know anybody, I started spending a lot of time just kind of going to movies alone because I knew that was something that I loved doing. Um, and it was a good way to kind of ground myself, I think. Um, and I'm not a huge superhero movie, superhero movie person. Like I don't have anything against them. It's just not something that I have engaged a lot of 
time or energy in. But I remember everybody just going on and on about how beautiful this movie was. And so it kind of just lined up in my schedule. And I think it was random and fortuitous. And I really, really loved it. I ended up going to see it a second time in theaters and would have gotten more but I saw it towards the end of its its showing life. Interesting. So you came at it a little bit late. Like you sort of came at it after the buzz had already set in. Yeah. Oh, I was super late to the party for sure. Gotcha. And did you see it in 2D or 3D? I saw it in 2D. I actually cannot remember 2D. the last time I saw a movie. No, I think that's very fair. The, the reason I ask is this is one of the few ones where I made the intentional decision to see it in 3D based on one reviewer that I, I sort of trust uh, what they had said prior to it coming out. And I very much went in with trepidation of like, I, this is probably a mistake. <laughs> like, I, I don't know, <laughs> you know, very rarely does it matter. Rarely does it improve the experience, if if anything. Um, so I'm just curious to see kind of like, you know, uh, how did people pick that? So uh, that's awesome. Okay, so we have like a, a very late after the buzz. You were convinced you had to see it. Shalila, what about you? So I'm hoping we're working approximately backwards in time then because I caught it probably right in the middle, like when the buzz had sufficiently built up. Uh, yes, that couldn't it, have it, planned know, this any or, better. Perfect. One or two of your friends has watched <laughs> it and said it's good. Um, not for any other reason. I, I think I was just busy and I got to it at that time. Um, so I saw it in theaters, of course. Uh, and then I, since I caught it about the middle, the moment I watched it, I, of course, was like, this is a five-star movie to me. So I watched it again in theaters. I, If I remember correctly, it was not 3D the first time, and then I saw it in 3D the second time because that's how my brain works in terms of investment into wearing 3D glasses for several hours. I need to feel like it's earned first, or I need to yep. be like super bored, and that's the only option. Uh, but it was a, I remember for being sure. like physically kind of, like elated after watching it. It's one of those movies where you come out of the theater and you're like, that mm. was a really good use of my time. Like, I'm so glad I did that. And I was walking around with a friend for a few hours afterwards being like, damn, that was a that was a high. Like, that was a rush watching it. So I remember that feeling very specifically. It was night and I was very awake and very excited. So very good memory. Well, I really agree with that, with that sensory experience. Yeah, it was... Um... It could not have agreed more on, on the sensory part. Uh, I saw it. I think I didn't see it launch day, which made me sad. I think it was like that weekend. Like it, it was very quick, though. Um, uh, after the first teaser trailer, it just it, it kind of became like a set in stone. Like, yeah, I'm going to see this. <laughs> like, I, I, I can't <laughs> miss this one. Um, saw it in 3D. And I actually really like you described that, Shalila. That's exactly how I think about it is the decision as to whether or not it's worth the investment of my like brain to put on the 3D glasses, uh, in part because I am a constant and regular glasses wearer. So wearing 3D glasses over glasses is a slightly different experience because it doesn't sit as close to your eyes as it normally would. And they claim it doesn't matter and they're liars. It like <laughs> your, your eye... It, it does pull your eyes focus slightly, so you do have to do a little more work through the movie to make your eyes kind of like stay where they need to be. I tend to like take them off a little bit through and kind of rest my eyes for a second. Like there's kind of a process involved, which means it had really better be worth it. Uh, and I remember walking out of it thinking like, I am pretty upset that I probably won't see this in 3D again because I don't own a 3D TV and I don't even, I wouldn't even begin to know how to begin to do that. Uh 
because it was worth it. Like it was just such a sensory experience all told uh, that it was it was very much worth that in a way that I don't think I've felt since probably Avatar, like blue Avatar. Uh, I can't wow, think of a yeah. lot of movies I've seen in 3D where it was actually worth it. I, I actually didn't hadn't thought about the existence of 3D TVs in a very long time. But when you said it, I actually remember it. I had the same thought when I watched now? the movie. I don't know. Were they alive ever? <laughs> I I briefly remember them being a thing no, when I was in like high school. Thing. Right. They like tried to make them a thing. And then I think people pretty quickly caught on to the impracticality of it. Yeah. I mean, I would do it for this only. <laughs> I really would. <laughs> like if you could do it. This you is could it. buy a TV just to watch Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Like if I could rent one, yeah, that'd be all right. <laughs> wow, new business idea, y'all. <laughs> you know bad, how they, they sell, if a game is so good, the console comes, like this, the game console comes with a skin of that game. I need a TV with a Spider-Verse skin. Yeah. A so Spider-verse they all know skin, I bought it for idea. that. Oh my yeah. gosh. We're going to make so much more money. I agree. I mean, especially with the, the recent GameStop excitement, I don't see a way for this to <laughs> fail, you know? <laughs> no, we only have good ideas on this podcast. We've never had a bad one. <laughs> Oh, never bad ideas. So it sounds like the the overriding thing for everybody is that like sensory experience. Um, I feel like this movie is old enough that we don't necessarily have to put a spoiler tag. Like if you haven't seen it, I don't know what's wrong with you. <laughs> like you could have seen it. You could have spent the time to do it. So go watch it, I guess, if you haven't. But um, just know that it's going to probably be spoilers here on out. But uh, I feel like for those who may not have seen it, like... I don't even, I don't know how to describe what that sensory overload is the result of because it feels like it's so many things. But in like number one for me was certainly color. This movie just has an sheer, truly incredible amount of colors being used all at once, often like popped out and layered in ways that aren't necessarily as as present uh, in other animated movies. Um, It also is like, super duper kinetic like everything's always in motion i really like that like even objects that are sitting still kind of like the the you know the the cells move as the camera moves and i really like that because obviously the whole thing is supposed to evoke reading an actual comic book and and it just meant that it's you 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 felt like you were always in motion and, and you're always being inundated with the color and, and vision like uh, uh visuals rather um so yeah, I, I I really think that was it for me. I don't. I feel like I didn't. I don't know if I've ever fully processed what it is that totally does it to me, though. Like I don't know what it is for you guys that really like sat with you that caused that sensory explosion. So can I go down the rabbit hole just like a little bit on the animation today? Because I did a bunch of a bunch of reading in preparation for this, like the journalist that I am, and I read this fascinating interview with some of the animators behind this movie who were talking about the general rule of thumb, which was that if it's not broken, break it to the point of breaking it and then push it further and see if you can create something amazing. And so whereas most projects, they go in kind of wanting the animators to play it safe and stick to things that have played well in the past, here they were just really experimenting. And so it sounds like it's a combination of literally just pushing animation to limits that it hasn't reached before. Plus the fact that the creators behind it were so excited to be engaging on something that they had never tried before. Um, And then on top of that, there's there's like so much going on with like the actual pacing of the animation. So some of the animation 
changes every frame the way that a normal animated movie was. For some, they wait every two frames to change the animation, which means that the character, in theory, is moving slower, but then they have to do a lot more with blur, which I think is really interesting. Mm. And then a lot of the stuff that's going on in the background, because comic book styles don't generally have things that are in focus or out of focus, like we're used to seeing in movies, a lot of the stuff that they had going on in the background was honestly just still images, so that there wasn't extra movement happening in the background to distract what was in the quote unquote foreground. And I think that just the number of layers and that, you know, amount of intentionality that's going into directing your focus and letting you both be overwhelmed by the amount that's on the screen, but also know what to pay attention to and what to feel. I think I think that has a lot to do with what you're talking about, Eric. Yeah, I mean, that that's like, I, I think the layer component in particular is what stands out to me because that it's like I said, that was certainly accentuated by the 3D because it, it is bringing things forward and back. But it, it, it really, like, that's really interesting to know that it was very static in the background because I feel like all that does is then further accentuate the motion in the front in a way that just, it always felt like you were kind of, it just gave it an energy, I guess, for lack of a better word. Like, <laughs> I, I will say this for the movie, not in a bad way, but... It's it's a tiring movie to watch. Like I definitely come out of it like like I feel like I've I've I don't know been running. That's a lie. I never do that. I don't know what it <laughs> feel like. But uh, whatever people do to expend calories, that's what it feels. You know, like there's mm. like a, a I feel like it's just kind of you like sit back in your chair like oh man I gotta like look at a blank wall for a bit. You know, like I need to kind of uh, I need a palate cleanse because it's so intense. Which I don't think is is a bad thing. It's just such it's so different. I guess is my for lack of a better description. It's just not not something my brain has any paradigm for. Mm. Yeah. If I remember correctly, the animators also said that they animated Miles specifically at twelve frames per second at the beginning of the movie, and then and and Peter B. Parker at twenty four, like most other characters, and then. Uh, as Miles kind of built up his skills, built up his confidence, and slowly became Spider-Man more, his frame rate steadily increased up until the point where he kind of does the big leap and ostensibly is Spider-Man fully to himself, and he's 24 then. So you can physically see him moving slower than Peter B. Parker the entire time, and then he starts moving at the same rate, which is so cool. I love that. That's, That's really, really cool. That's really interesting. I think I think a big part of it for me is how is not only like the pacing of the visuals, but how perfectly it aligns with the soundtrack for this film. Like I don't I, I cannot separate this film from how incredible the music is and not just like obviously the banger songs that you can find on Spotify, but like the instrumentals in the background are truly flawless. Yeah, hard it to is agree. Really good. I, I really feel like that was the the thing that, um, like I said before, like the, the thing that put me in the seat opening weekend was that teaser, partially because of the music. And the, like the original one, like it, it just has that score over it. And it was just so immediately like, oh, this is not going to be the typical fare, is it? You know, I, I just, yeah, I agree with you completely. The music is so good. Yeah. The, the specifically, <laughs> this is just... This is just my nightmares, but the the sound <laughs> that plays when the Prowler appears haunted me yes. for mm, two years. Still does to what this day. What is that? I don't know, I but I never want to hear it again. Thing is, 
this is not helpful for me to share, but I was watching it with my partner and he said that that was actually like sampled from something and then couldn't remember what it was and I didn't look it up. So I know, I just, I guess I'm putting that out into the universe that (laughs) it's sampled from something. It's terrifying and it's instantly iconic in a way that I think is really good. Like it's, it's just an immediate, like they use it obviously as a really good callback throughout the rest of the movie to put you in a very, you know, agitated state. Uh... Uh, what this is going to sound like a oh, wild connection, but uh, did either of you see Annihilation? Sure did. I t- I don't even know what that is. <laughs> it's a it's a Natalie Portman movie from possibly the same year, twenty seventeen or twenty eighteen, and uh, it is a a, a sci fi film uh, uh, from. Uh, uh, the guy's name alex somebody or other but i i i the same guy who did uh, uh ex machina and there is a sound God. i don't know scape i don't know what to call it but there's this there's this kind of like sound thing that is used throughout the movie that reminds me very much of the prowler thing where it's just this kind of haunting sound that sticks with me to now and it's really big on TikTok right now, and it's very upsetting. Yes, yes. <laughs> I, I, I you're having a totally recognize it night. immediately. Yep. And you flip through it, and you just hear this, like the very deeply upsetting minor chords that are, they just kind of immediately, like, my spine straightens, and I get really tense because it's left over. And I think the same thing would happen with the Prowler music. Like, it's, I, they just did a very good job. It, I, I don't know who is in charge of that, but kudos to them. I also really love like how that sound really accents like the dissonance that you feel between Uncle Aaron's relationship with his nephew and his identity as the prowler and like you feel friction with that plot wise and the sound is just absolutely perfect for it. Yep. One hundred percent. So good. It's certainly possibly probably mostly due to the fact that Academy, two-time Academy Award-winning actor and podcast favorite and Eric's future best friend, <laughs> Mahershala Ali, is, of course, the voice of Aaron Davis, Uncle Aaron. Uh, and he's just my all-time favorite, and I'll never stop talking about That's him a great on this choice. podcast or beyond. He's so good, and I didn't realize it was him when I first saw the movie, and it made it even better. Me neither. I honestly think that's something that doesn't, quite get talked about enough is the cast of this movie and i guess i understand i I guess what i've learned is that people just don't look these things up like unless you're a person who's interested it's just not like a thing because Haley steinfeld jake johnson nicholas cage mahershala ali leave schreiber john mulaney brian tyree henry lily tomlin uh kimiko glenn chris pine oscar isaac Catherine hahn zoe kravitz I don't know why this is included in the list. I'm not saying this is equ- uh, equitable, but Post Malone, Donald Glover, <laughs> Lake Bell, Natalie Morales, like a truly incredible list of people that are voices in this movie, even if they're only in it for like five minutes. That is a heavy hitting list. And I don't think it quite get enough like, I don't think that part of the movie gets enough love. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to file that under like most unloved parts of this movie. I love that you said that. I actually, my theory is that 
that cast is like one of the biggest reasons that this movie is so easy to connect with. Like not not only that they're obviously A-list names, you can get people into this. Well, I actually don't know how many of them would count as A-list. I don't know what, what the line is for that, but big names that people recognize and love. Um, but I think that even subliminally- <laughs> It's hearing- Nicolas Cage and below. Yeah. <laughs> um, even subliminally hearing people that you like love and trust as much as these people draws you in. Uh, there was like a really similar philosophy behind uh, another film that I am completely obsessed with, Promising Young Woman. Um, the director of that film cast a ton of comedians pretty intentionally in this like really dark comedy because she wanted to cast people that we culturally have a lot of faith in, in roles that make us like question who it is that we are trusting day to day. And so I think this is a very, a very different way of playing with that, but kind of the same base philosophy. It's talking about how anybody could wear the mask. Anybody could be Spider-Man. We all have things to Ooh, learn from I each like other. I like that a lot. Such and then we're listening I to like these comedians. <laughs> yeah. You know what? That's not bad at all. Cause I think that, I think what's famous about this movie in a way uh, with its cast is that people are shocked to learn, right? Like the, the like the the WandaVision, for whatever reason, people just didn't know that Catherine Hahn was was Doc Ock until WandaVision showed up. And so like that, you know, that this just sort of like hidden gem, right? People don't know Oscar Isaac is in it. Chris Pine being the original, like first Spider-Man that shows up, I think is still mostly unknown. But I like kind of what you're getting at there of like, it might be just an intentional thing to sort of, they didn't even market that they were in it. So mm-hmm. it's just this idea of like the sheer talent and the the qualities that they're each so good at bringing through settles you into this world in a way that maybe it wouldn't have if it wasn't those voices. Like I don't I don't know what Liv Schreiber's doing as Kingpin. It doesn't sound anything like him. <laughs> right, not but at all. It's pretty great. Like there's something about it that just kind of works and you're into it. There's yeah, I, I really like that take. I think it's fascinating mostly because, like you said, none of the most of the voices aren't that traditionally recognizable except for maybe if you you watch new girl a hundred times like jake johnson's pretty recognizable yeah. and he's yeah, just talking I had like no himself trouble with that right one. i was gonna <laughs> right. say nick yeah. cage mulaney and yeah, jake johnson yeah. i would think but, are the i mean top they're the three, smaller right? roles yeah but what yeah. I, the thing i find interesting is that they have enough absolute a-listers that they could have done that thing that every kind of annoying universal musical movie does where they put up posters being like zendaya is michi and this person is this person just (laughs) to sell it on the star power but then they didn't which i also find fascinating because the main character miles played by shameek moore isn't like he's by far the least famous of the entire crew obviously he did a phenomenal job but it kind of feels like they trojan horsed it in still like they were like our our lead is a relatively unknown actor to the vast majority yeah. of the audience, but yeah. they didn't, still didn't lean on the star power that they had, which is just a good choice. I like that it kind of worked. I like that you pointed out those posters because they're so, like, I feel like everyone knows exactly what you're talking about. That, what was that <laughs> damn, um, the Yeti movie? Oh my oh, gosh, the, Smallfoot the... or whatever. Yeah, and everyone knows that because the stand-ups were everywhere for a long time. Like they just you would just like walk into a Jewel Osco and there's just like 17 yetis made out of cardboard and each one of them is like, "Guess what? Here's all these people that you've heard of that are in this movie." And I don't think a soul saw that movie. Like I just <laughs> I, I I really that's a very easy to recognize 
kind of trick that they put out of like you're going to care about this. Right, but that's the marketing. <laughs> that's the marketing campaign you do when you need to promise the parents that there'll be something in it for them if they just yes. take their kids to see the movie. Yeah. yeah. So here's my next question uh I uh, for you is uh, well for both of you, I guess, is what was there any part of this movie like was there any part of the experience because the, um uh I guess what I'm getting at is this movie is not necessarily a uh an easy superhero movie. What I, and what I mean by that is like it's not like a it feels like it's starting at step 5 not step 1. Like this one there's not like a let's generally introduce the concept of powers and villain. This one's like guess what there's multiverses, lots of different people. Here's about seven different villains uh lots of different hero right all that kind of good stuff was there any degree to which it was like uh like off-putting or like what like what level of access were you going in with um what i'm always curious about to know is is this a movie that worked really well like you said at the top Shirley, it seemed to work well with lots of people but the box office also kind of says it didn't so did it work well with folks who are already primed to be in this world, either because you're a big comic book fan or maybe you're just a big comic book movie fan or whatever. Maybe you're just super into the Spider-Man TV show. Uh, or is there something about it that even though it seems intimidating to a degree, it wasn't? So I have a quick question about the box office before we move into that question, which is super interesting. Yeah. And I'm maybe stalling for time to, to answer that. Uh, I feel like it maybe wasn't a huge success at the box office as we think of big animated movies, but I'm pretty sure that for, sure. for Sony animated movies, it was like a sensation. Yes, I think that is true. I, 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 I if I'm not mistaken, you are exactly right on that. It, it, that's what I mean. It's not to say that it failed. I think the the annoying, maybe, well, yeah, I'm going to say annoying part is it was very critically successful, and I think for Sony it was a big deal. And honestly, like for the world of animation. Not like I'm not saying it, it died, <laughs> uh, you know, died in the crib. I think it's more like a people immediately were comparing it to like it did really well, but it didn't put up Frozen numbers. Mm. It did mm -hmm. really well, but it wasn't Toy Story four. You know, like things like that. Like it, it, it didn't reach. I guess if you want to put it in that sort of tier, I don't think it was hitting like Illumination and Disney numbers, but it was, you know, very successful. So that's what I'm kind of wondering is like, is there some degree to which it was – I off-putting sounds too negative, but was there a <laughs> barrier to entry because of how not simple that movie is? And I think that's like a very fair, like almost like non-value judgment. It's not simple. There's a lot going on. Do you have a theory, Shalila? You know, I wish I did. I'm actually – I'm realizing that – so when I went to watch the movie, I, I obviously didn't think about it before because I never do when I go to watch movies. Like that's the simple answer. I just go and sit and watch – and then if I'm going to get intimidated, it happens after I've bought the ticket and sat down because I just <laughs> like to watch movies that much. But I'm kind of shocked thinking about it in retrospect that I didn't get overwhelmed because in retrospect, literally everything happens in this movie. The number of characters is bad shit, like especially including, you know, the 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 kind of the villains that, that pop up later where there's a whole new crew of villains that come yeah. in later. And then there's... A, a very kind of wide balance of tones, like all the way from the kind of slapstick comedy, I mean, well-handled, obviously, slapstick <laughs> comedy tones of uh, Spider-Ham 
to the kind of raw vulnerability that Miles's character portrays the entire time, which is obviously so refreshing and amazing for a, a young Afro-Latino superhero of color and lead of color kind of character. All of this to say, if I made a list of all the things in this movie by theme, it would be a it would sound like a terrible movie. Like it sounds like the things I criticize <laughs> about other movies. I'm like, oh, it was yeah. balancing so many tones. That's what I'm. They introduced at. a bunch of villains at the end, and then at the end there was this whole thing in the in this like dimension changing thing that nobody knew was coming. And it it feels like it should be long and arduous, but it wasn't, which is kind of amazing to me. And I wonder if it's because. So I, when I watched this movie, rewatched it recently for the podcast. I watched it with a friend who had never seen it. And I felt very bad that we were watching it on my little tiny silly TV rather than any better of an experience. But that's kind of what we get during COVID. So, you know, I'm glad she got to see it. But she, from you know, right from the start when they show the Columbia logo and it glitches, yes. which is so cool. I, I, I was so obviously as a, a good and annoying friend does, I wasn't watching the movie at the beginning. I was watching her to make sure she was reacting correctly. And right when that happened, she was like, oh, oh, my God. And she like sat forward and she's not that much of a reactive person. So I was like, OK. And it kind of reminded me that maybe they gave you the warning signs from the beginning. Like they just started were like they started off and they were like, this is going to be crazy. So just accept it or you're not going to like it. And then it, it it went crazy, but it was also such a kind of refreshing, enduring visual style that you had no choice but to buy in. This is my my best attempt at a theory. I, I don't know, but it was so I, good. I think I totally agree with you. I, especially as somebody who like really doesn't have context for superhero movies, I think they just kind of said, okay, so here's the deal. There are multiverses. Uh, we're, we've got multiple Spider-Men here. This is how it's working. Just accept it. <laughs> and I think that because they did it so quickly, they like didn't dwell on it. The audience just kind of keeps up. Uh, there, there's almost just like not time for you to get hung up on it. Interesting. And it didn't, it didn't keep you out of the theater. Like, was that something you knew going in? Did you know it was going to be this super duper superhero movie? Like, uh, very, you know, turn the comic book up to ten. I did, but maybe in a different way. Like, I, seeing the previews and knowing that there were multi multiple spider people in it or whatever, I think is one of the things that kept me from seeing it sooner because I assumed that I would need so much more context than I had. And now, in retrospect, I understand that there were, like, obviously tons of references in it that I didn't get, but I also never felt alienated from the movie because of that. Hmm. So maybe that is, as in, I guess it could be something that helped that box office final score. Like there, there, there might be a degree to which that, what you just said, like sort of seeing like, oh, there's multiples of them. Yikes. Uh, before you actually get in, you know, mm -hmm. you sit down and, and realize maybe that's part of it. I guess what I'm looking for, <laughs> here's my real hope. I'm hoping I can find anything that isn't the obvious answer. That's what I'm really <laughs> getting at here. I want an answer that isn't the worst answer, which is also probably the right answer, right? Which is if you look at the list of highest grossing animated films of all time, they're either white characters or non-humans. I will that's, say, though. That's it. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is the second highest rated animated movie on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, for sure. And that's what I think is interesting is it's like critically loved, but it didn't seem to it didn't seem to connect to anything. Like, it didn't seem to, like, okay, here's my point. 
that is very true. It is the, 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 the second highest rated, right? People loved it. All good. The Boss Baby is on the top 50 list of all time. You're making Hotel me so sad right now. Three. <laughs> Hotel Transylvania 3 is on the top 50 of all time. Cars 2. The Croods. Who saw The Croods? I did, but who the <laughs> hell else saw it? Why did like, you that, see that? I don't know. But my, my YouTube point, ads like, really want me to. <laughs> These are, are, they're not all like the winners. Like I get that at the top of the list is, you know, uh, uh, Frozen and Lion King and Minions and uh, Zootopia. Like I get that. Those are those are the big, big guns. But not all of these movies, like as you know, the quality does not translate. So something did not translate to getting people inside this theater. And I deeply want to find a reason that isn't the obvious one, which mm. is that it was a black Spider-Man. And that's, I, I, that seems to be it. Like, I, I can't find any other good reason. It can't just be that it was Sony because Hotel Transylvania is Sony and they did, it did fine. So that's what I'm, I'm still confused by to this day is what, is that really it? If so, that's horribly sad. Like, I'm sure that is a large part of it, but... I'm always looking for the unicorn answer that is, you know, oh, well, it also released during a week in which everyone had a meeting. Sorry, just everyone is busy. <laughs> you know, like, I, something. Yeah, I'm sure it's a combination. Like, I do, unfortunately, think that there are some people who are like, mm, Spider-Man can't be black. And, you know, we saw a version of that conversation when people were wondering whether Donald Glover was going to be cast as Spider-Man and then it ended up being Andrew Garfield and there was like a lot of horrendous yeah. talk online about how it couldn't, there couldn't be a black Spider-Man. Uh, I think yeah. that there are probably a decent number of people who were kind of like me and they were like, dude, I do not need another superhero movie. Um, and then I think you're right. Like, what else was out at that point? Uh we were talking about how it released around the holidays. Did it come out at a good time to go to the movies during the holidays or one where everybody was really stressed and didn't want to? It's still, it's like a little on the darker side, though, for like little, little ones. I, I suppose guess, so. But does anybody know that? Like, did they market it differently? I don't know. I, I, will, I, do, I do think it's notable that it came out like six months after Infinity War, which had a lot of spider-man moments and i guess if you know nothing about the character you're like i don't want to see another spider-man movie i don't know does that make any sense like i don't think people even there's probably a subset yeah. of people who were like i don't even know that there's two different spider-men in these movies or that it's possible to have more than one spider-man right i mean that's not knowledge that i assume the average person is expected to have so i don't know but it is weird that it it, it was trailing behind Aquaman and Mary Poppins Returns and Bumblebee when it was out. Like, weird movies that it should have been topping at the time with the buzz. I uh, loved Mary Poppins Returns. <laughs> I mean, no, I love that too, and it's Disney, so I understand that. But Bumblebee, which is, again, also a movie I love. That, that's not the, you know. Oh, they're all that was also Haley Steinfeld, wasn't it? Indeed. Yeah. Ooh, that's good so funny. Time I like that for movie a lot. Her. Yeah. She's killing it. And now she's uh now she's gonna take over for Hawkeye. Yeah. She's she's racking up that money. And she's, she's Emily Dickinson. The, the black And they're gonna it. do a Spider Gwen movie. So she's got another yeah. one of these. Plus yeah. the sequel. Yeah, she's doing great. Yeah, we should talk about that, I think. The sequel. I I mean, there's nothing has been talked about it, obviously. Like there's no there's no uh details being shared or anything like that. Um it's a slightly different creative team, uh, but 
a, a lot of the same uh, uh, original production team is still involved in one way or the other. What do you kind of hope to see out of this? This was a movie that I honestly thought was going to be a one and done. Just by the way, like it felt like they decided we're never going to get a chance to make another one. So we're going to go as truly bonkers as humanly possible. Yeah. So it feels like it's going to be very hard to go up. Like, I don't, I don't know where you go from here. Yeah, I'm having those reservations you get when you hear that one of your favorite books is being adapted for the yep. screen. Where you're like, uh, I mean, there's a tiny chance that it could be really good, but I'd rather keep the wonderful memory of it as it is right now. So I have faith in the team and animators, of course. But uh, I don't know. I, I, really, I also, is, That's exactly it for me. I don't know how they could top this. It's such a good question. I'm trying so hard not to set any expectations because uh, of exactly what you're saying, Shalila. I loved this movie like very deeply. And I feel like if I start getting my hopes up for a sequel... I, I'm just going to, like, set a bar that doesn't need to be there. I mean, at this point, even Jake Johnson won't, like, say one way or another if he's even in the sequel. So I kind yeah. of like mm, I kind of like that mystery. Yeah. But also, please put Jake Johnson in the sequel. <laughs> yeah. All good questions. I also, I, I was reading that Oscar Isaac is expected to play a very large role in the sequel. And I yeah. I think that the potential for... Oscar Isaacs and Shamik Moore's chemistry in like an evolution of the mentorship he's seeking could be really cool. Because Oscar Isaac, if I remember correctly, voices the the uh, after credit character at the end, right? Miguel. Oh, Spider Man uh, twenty something something. He is from the future. Twenty ninety nine. Oh, Thank very you. cool. Mm hmm. Twenty eighty nine. Twenty ninety nine. Something. Like I think that. you're right. Yeah. I think it's twenty ninety nine. Because you hear him in the after credit scene. He's walking around talking to. I don't know, a computer? I'm not really clear. Uh, and he's, like, talking about the movie. Like, he's talking about, like, hey, something, you know, something screwed up, something whatever. There's a ripple. Uh, but in kind of, like, a negative way. They, it seemed like they were setting him up in kind of, like, a like a slightly villainous way. So I'm kind of curious to see what that looks like. Fascinating. I don't know anything about that character. So uh, I have a, a tangential question related to something that, uh, that you just said, Jordan, or that you said when you were, were in your previous statement. You said that one of the things that kept you, or was was not kept you, but like was a, a hesitation was, ugh, not another superhero movie. <laughs> yes, a very popular opinion, I'm sure. Yeah, so I'm curious, what, 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 why that feeling? What, like, what, what is it about the current dominating action genre that is, uh, uh, well, you know, sort, sort of the uh, larger genre that is superhero movies. What is it about that that has kind of led to this feeling that's kind of exhausted you? Yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that I, I just like came to it really late. You know, I really, I'm, I'm going to use Marvel as a prime example because I think it's the easiest one. I did yeah. not see a ton of Marvel movies, and I definitely didn't see any until I got to college. Um, and so even now, I think I've maybe seen 10. And so as much as I enjoy them, every single Marvel movie I've seen has had these kind of long like scenes that sort of just beat me over the head 
with the fact that I don't have context for them. Like, it is hmm. a clearly very important conversation, and I have no idea who one of the characters is, and <laughs> I don't know why it matters, but the other people in the theater are really into it, um, to the point that when Endgame came out, I was talking to one of my friends about it, and I told him how many Marvel movies I had seen, and he was like, you will not enjoy Endgame. Uh, and I think... It just it, it just makes me feel left out of the conversation in the world. It makes me feel left out in the theater. And so I guess I had decided it was just a little bit easier to skip it until I had mm. the wherewithal to sort of work my way through the catalog. Because I enjoy the movies. I think the actors are great. The writing is great. The visuals are great. Uh, the comedic moments in Marvel movies are right up my alley. So it's not that I have anything against them. It's just that... I feel like I haven't done the work, and the idea of doing the work is a little bit exhausting. What kept you from seeing them when they were in theaters, like the early ones? Uh, I think my my family just wasn't super into them, and also, I didn't go to the movies really much at all. Mm. Uh, it was such a... This, this really gets back to a lot of what you two were talking about in your Martin Scorsese episode, actually. So we were talking, you were talking about the, uh, the idea of a family who goes to see a movie like maybe four times a year. And that is 100% yeah. the situation I came from. It was such a luxury to go to the movie theaters. And normally I was going with my family. So it was the kind of thing where we would pick a movie that we were all excited about, um, yeah. which more often than not would not be a superhero movie. And then outside of that, uh, I was just constantly pretty busy. And so I didn't take a lot of time to engage with movies that I wasn't already more or less familiar with. That's really good to know. Can I ask a follow-up specifically about superhero movies? And I wish you would. That's why I'm here. <laughs> so you said you kind of feel like you caught on a little too late and that there's a lot of catch-up work to do, kind of like, you know, a course or something where you're, you're just behind on all the lessons and now it's too far. Do you feel that if you had just, you know, magically started earlier, like by accident gone for the first one and then seen the second and third along the way, that at this point you would then be caught up and it's simply a matter of digesting them, you know, kind of in the order they came or at least with some time in between so it's kind of an organic process or is it just at this point for almost anybody who isn't obsessed with comics it's just too much like even if you started slowly it's just too much at the point we are in in 2021 where it's impossible to digest from this point <laughs> onwards and it's intimidating no matter what like whether you started early or you didn't like do you think it's 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 doable to catch up or does it feel like it's building towards something that's more and more alienating over time? I think I think it feels doable to catch up. Uh probably thanks in large part to Endgame. Like I think the fact that that chapter has closed makes me feel like there is a point that I could reasonably reach. Like obviously I know WandaVision's out and they're building to all of these new movies and it's not like it's actually ended or over or whatever, but it does feel like there is a digestible chunk that you could reasonably get through. Um, of course, I, I do know that they're they're going to keep being developed, and so maybe check in with me in a year and see how I'm feeling at that point. I, I think that the, the way that they're going to be consumed has changed a lot because of Disney+, Plus, like you mm. just mentioned, right? And like WandaVision being the first one that is coming to quasi-television um, that actually matters. Don't yell at me. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. fans, don't even start. Um, 
do you think that like is there something about it that's going to be I, I guess what i'm curious is is that going to be easier or harder because now there's like tv I, I get the sense that people are less intimidated by the tv shows but i i might be wrong about that like just as a concept yeah i think i think what you're saying is right i as like uh, I don't know. I think we're going to have a reckoning with streaming eventually. Like, we are having conversations as a society about moving into streaming was supposed to make things more affordable, and now things yeah. are becoming fragmented and paywalls are really getting in the way, and I guess I just don't know <laughs> what the future of that is. And then the next are step of that... Are you saying you don't care about Paramount Plus? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what bothers me is that there's a lot of stuff I would really like to watch on Paramount Plus, but mm -hmm. I only have so much money. Um, mm -hmm. so I, I, I'm really interested to see what happens with that. And then the fact that Disney is what Disney is, I think is going to make it one of the more successful streaming organizations, obviously, but at the same time, banking on people putting that money in and risking getting into exactly what I'm talking about and then alienating a portion of your audience by trying to interlink everything too much could could just kind of start the cycle rolling again. Um, but I, I agree that the idea of starting a TV show is so much easier. The number of people who I've heard talking about how much they loved that WandaVision was in 20-minute episodes is like way up there. I hope that's correct. I haven't actually watched it. I've just listened to people talk about it. Um, and so putting it into a, a literally bite-sized, consumable piece of art that fits really, really well with the way that we're getting used to living our lives, I think is a great foothold mm. to bring more people into it. Yeah, yeah they, okay, they, they my, lucked my... out that their TV show lineup came out during COVID. Oh, my gosh. Yep. True. Yeah. Yeah. They've also reshuffled a lot of it, I think. Yeah. For that very purpose. But wasn't WandaVision was, wasn't supposed to be the first one out, right? No, it was a way out. Yeah, it was a ways out. So my 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 final kind of question, I guess, in the in the world of like superhero fatigue, which like you said, is like a very well-worn discussion at this point. But what I'm curious about is other than I think there's very legitimate uh uh capitalism issues with this mm. question, like very, very legitimate, like there is absolutely corporate strangleholds going on in regards to content because people pay for what is available. Also, it's easy. Shalil and I have talked about this at length. What I'm curious about is, is there any reason, like just, you know, sort of gut feeling? Why do you think that superhero fatigue, even if it's just personal to you, why do you think this exists for you where, uh, and I'm not saying, you know, maybe it's harder because we're older now, but like when we were a little bit younger, uh, things like uh, rom-coms were, you know, uh, 90s into the mid-2000s, rom-coms were dominant, right? They were they were everywhere. Uh, and then you had the uh, sort of like the teen film domination for like 20 years. Obviously much older, you had Westerns domination, musicals domination. Um, I mean, there's even, you know, folks have talked about like little more micro genres. Uh, how many more you know, uh, uh, Divergent, Hunger Game, uh, mm. Maze Runner, clones can we get? Uh, even animated. People like throw, even though that bothers the hell out of me because it's a 
medium, not a genre, but that's okay. Basically, <laughs> just how many more animated kids movies, right? So my question is like, why why is it that those don't cause that same feeling of fatigue, but this does? Yeah, I think that when you look at, I, I like how you refer to them as micro genres. When you look at yeah. those, I think you start getting more into that fatigue. And perhaps it's just that those categories are a little bit smaller. And so I think when you look at rom-coms, you look at animated movies, at whatever it is, there are tropes that people are absolutely sick of. But because the category is so broad, there is a lot more room to experiment and, and to pull away from the things that people could get tired of. Whereas when I think of super mo superhero movies... I know that there's going to be extended fight scenes in all of them. Uh, and it. so if that's going to be a decent portion of the movie, and then another sizable chunk of the movie is uh, conversations among characters that I have no context for, that leaves a pretty small chunk of the movie that I feel like I'm going to see. Sure. Versus with those other categories, I think I think there's way more room for experimentation, for you to see something new, for you to be surprised, for you to find something that you want to engage with. Beep, beep. Oh, that's the sound of Martin Scorsese adding you as a friend on Facebook. He loves what you said, and he wants to be best friends. Incredible. Yeah, sure, Marty. Hit me up. I wonder how much of that kind of trepidation and thinking, oh, I'm just going to see a bunch of stuff again and not really kind of the moments that I treasure in movies necessarily uh, comes from this like immense dedication to building a consistently branded cinematic universe that just wasn't mm. there like 20 years ago. I mean, it was in Kevin Feige's head, but it wasn't, you know, <laughs> in our heads, which is a burden we now have to bear. But I wonder if this like dedication to building this universe, which has so much embedded lore and makes it kind of seem like you not on the comics, but just the movies, you could write a really detailed wiki with so much background and stats and stuff that you got to remember. I wonder if that that burden has has killed the charm in any way. And, and if it didn't for movies that we didn't and still don't consider so much part of this burdened universe, like I have friends who don't really care that Aquaman is in the DCEU, like it's in a universe, but it doesn't feel that way or it doesn't feel like it comes with a burden of knowledge. And I wonder if that affects it at all. Yeah, I mean, I think, <laughs> I don't know that I have anything to add to that. I think that is a great thing to wonder. I'm with you. <laughs> what I'm really interested in is I, I think this is a uh, topic that I've seen discussed a lot, right, at length, is this idea of uh, that sort of like, oh, we have to know things in order to do it, and thereby it sort of is uh, exhausting or, or, or puts up a barrier to entry, and, you know, all which I think is all very fair. What I'm curious about is, is that as universal as we think it is? Like, going back to what we talked about in our Scorsese episode, going back to what it turns out the average person is doing, which is see, going into the theater four times a year, does that actually act as a barrier? Or I, I guess what I'm thinking is like kind of back to when I was a kid, like my entire paradigm for to see a movie was, was that a cool trailer I saw on TV? And is that a cool looking poster? And is there a toy of it in the store? Mm. Then my butt's in the seat. So that's sort of my curiosity here is like, I wonder how much this is actually a tangible thing that exists outside of, the discussion about it 
and not that it can't exist for individuals, but as like a larger n, you know, even if it's just America, take the 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 sort of you know how many people does this actually impact versus you know in the same I'm going to keep using this movie because it's fresh in my brain. I can't imagine that there was a lot of people who didn't see Hotel Transylvania three because they didn't see number one or two, right? Like I like it's <laughs> a kids fair. movie, right? And There's three? and I feel like the the default feeling is as a parent is like I need my child to sit down and my god that'll be an air conditioned place of quiet for two hours. Doesn't that sound delightful? Like uh, <laughs> d- so. Does anyone actually sort of stop and say, well, you know, I didn't see Adam Sandler as Dracula in the first two, so am I not going to get it? You know, like, it, it doesn't seem to affect animated kids' movies. Like, again, did did anybody not see Toy Story 4 because they didn't see the first three, according to the box office? No, not at all. Like, I, people seem to have gone to see it. So, how, how, like, where does that line stop? Oh, that's such a you know, I, I guess that's what I'm wondering is at what age or at what bracket of film do we stop doing that? Because I think for some it seems to matter. I'm imagining there's not a lot of people that saw the later Harry Potter movies. I would take a guess who didn't already see the first four, five, six, right? Like I, I would assume. Um, is that where Marvel fits in then? Versus like as an example – I don't know anybody who didn't see the movie Creed because they didn't know that it was a Rocky movie. Like, they just went in. It was like, oh, this is a cool-looking movie, great poster, Sylvester Stallone, great. Like, it it seems like there's a certain age barrier where that becomes apparent and then drops off. That's such a good call. I just don't know what the line is. (laughs) I agree completely. That's what I mean. I'd be really curious. I want, like, a social scientist to do it. I want, like, a – I need a sociologist to go do this. Commission a study. Yeah, I want this. I I would – I'd be really curious to know, does it actually impact people or is the average family happily, happily going to walk into Captain Marvel 2 and, you know, the parents and the kids will be like, do we see the first 17 movies? Absolutely not. Does it matter? <laughs> not one bit. <laughs> and you know what? Whatever. <laughs> I just really like to build off of what you're saying. I think we are coming at this in like a who's not seeing these movies angle because that's the lens that I am seeing it through. Yeah. But like to put this in a much more positive light, like Marvel made a lot of movies that a lot of people continued showing up to see. Right. And that 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 is incredible when you think of the number of choices that people had. It's not like they had to. People craved this content. And when you think of the community that it built, the number of people who have seen all of the Marvel movies and will continue seeing all the Marvel content, they're that like that in and of itself is incredible. So it's not like people aren't going to these. And maybe the fact right. that the people who want it have it and the people who don't have other options is just, you know, we're not going to get I, everybody I, on the same page. I think what you just said is what Shula and I have touched on before, though, is like that that to me is the real deep problem, right, is what you just said. Those who have it have it. Those who don't want it can have something else. The problem is very rapidly becoming that they don't, right? Oh, like the the, yeah. the choice to not see a Disney vehicle is very quickly becoming non-tenable. That, like, that gets it, back it, into it, that. Especially if you don't live in LA, sure. New York, or <laughs> Chicago. You're beginning to have an issue, you know, and I think that's really fair. I think to me, you know, I, I guess it doesn't come as a surprise, but like I'm a fan of these movies. I have no care if people don't like them. I completely get it. There's lots of moral reasons why we shouldn't be watching them. 
God, the U.S. military doesn't need any more propaganda. <laughs> There's all <laughs> kinds of good reasons. Like, I'm on board. I will never fault anybody who doesn't watch them. Uh you know, there, there's, a, I have like a little gut, you know, uh, uh, sort of like instinct kick when people are like, well, I didn't see it because, you know, there's just so many. And then there's the ones with the X-Men too. And I, you know, my like younger fanboy brain kicks and like, <laughs> well, actually those are Fox's movie, you know, and I have to sort of suppress <laughs> that. But I do think by far the single most like, uh, to me legitimate, I guess, like not, not even legitimate to say the others are illegitimate, but the most important argument and the most important thing to note is like yeah the problem is even if i don't like it it's starting to become impossible to do anything else and that's super fair yeah yeah that's a problem i agree yeah well as always our podcasts always have some uh you know disappointing thing some some disappointing world comment to make or we talk about the joker so uh, today we picked disappointment (laughs) do we think that when the sequel comes out people are going to be bothered about whether they watch the first one or not like, to what extent is that going to matter for Spider-Verse, which is a movie we haven't mentioned in 30 minutes? I know. Whoops. <laughs> I have a, a silly argument. I think it depends on the title. I really, like, I honestly think if they name it Into the Spider-Verse 2, mm. uh, which it's already called Into the Spider-Verse something else, right? Doesn't it have, like, a second? It's Spider-Man colon Into the Spider-Verse. Spider-Man in the Spider-Verse, right. So I guess it depends on it. Is it going to be Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse 2, the Spider-Versing? Like, is it something more <laughs> complex? Because I I think if they sequelize it, then I think it'll hurt. Mm. I think if it's just another animated Spider-Man movie to, to, to the casual watcher, I think it'll be fine. Just for fun, I hope they do something as ridiculous as Birds of Prey and the Fabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn <laughs> or... Edge of Tomorrow, oh Live, Die, God. Repeat. We haven't talked about that in enough time about how – I know we've talked about it on the podcast before, but I think it's time to bring that back up about how angry we are that they retitled the movie during the course of its run. How I, dare I'm you call that movie – to this day. Whatever – what did they change it to? It was like Harley Birds Quinn, of Birds of Prey. Harley Quinn. That's – God, I'll never be upset. More upset about that. <laughs> it was such a good title. It was so good. <laughs> Our passion project. I love it. So I, I have a, a sort of non-Spider-Verse related question, uh, but sort of the, the same vein, um, which is big picture. doesn't just have to be superhero movies. But what I'd like to know, Jordan, is what – you talked a little bit about your sort of family's history with movies. What brought you into movies, like to caring about them, period? Uh, yeah, and that doesn't have to mean like loving them intensely. Like, a, you know, whatever that sentence means to you, who is the person or what is the thing that is responsible for you watching? Them? So it, it seems like it's maybe an innate thing. My mom has this story about me watching Cinderella when I was like four or five and she came in and the scene where Cinderella comes down the stairs to meet the prince for the first time, she like finds her tiny child like crying because it's so beautiful that they're in love. Um. So I, I'm just like a very emotional person and, you know, well-made movies elicit emotions. And so I, as long as I can remember, have just kind of craved that experience. Um, I also think that as a person with big emotions that I didn't really know how to process growing up, I probably used it as an outlet far more than I recognized Mm, at the time. Um, So like when I was 
going through whatever that I didn't know how to deal with, I would sit down and turn on the TV and watch a movie. And it was probably a very important kind of catharsis. And then when you layer on top of that, that movie watching for me was very, very much like a family activity and my family is super important to me. I think that that put the act of watching a movie up on a pedestal. And then when I kind of went through a reckoning with myself where I was like, you need to spend more time alone and like find things that you care about and really get in touch with who you are as a person, going to the movies by myself felt like such a bold move and very quickly became one of my favorite things to do for my mental and emotional health. So movies has always just been like a very, have always just been a very central element of who I am and how I understand myself. And I wish I had a more like finite start date for y'all on that. Um, But yeah, they've just, they've just always meant a lot to me and helped me channel my understanding of myself. So do you have any memory of why it was movies and not anything else? Like, in other words, in theory, you, you, you could do everything you just said with, you know, a lot of people are more television than they are movies or, mm. um, you know, uh, 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 I don't know, theater, yeah, uh, you know, uh, paintings, whatever, like uh, music. Like, w- do you have any memory of why movies became that thing? Yeah. So I do. I have to say I do all of those other things that you just mentioned, too. So uh, creative soul here, I guess. I wonder if a lot of it has to do with the fact that I am as visual as I am. You know, I work in broadcast news now. I think that says a lot for how I take in and process information. So the, the visuals of it probably played a huge role. And then even now, there is something about taking a one and a half, two hour chunk of my life and committing committing it to a single piece of art that feels very deliberate. And I think it is it is that that makes it feel like such a special thing because with TV, it can be on in the background. It can be 20 minutes and I know I can be out the door when it's time to head to work. Um, it has never felt like taking time for myself in the same way that movies do. I love that answer. Oh my gosh, thank you. <laughs> that was yeah, that great. Was I love beautiful. that. I think you really helped put words to an emotion that I've never quite known how to explain. I really like that. Wow. I'll just come back for therapy sessions. Yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> I love that you don't have a, by the way, a finite start date because I think there's always an equally beautiful answer when somebody does and they can trace it back to some kind of magical moment and a really 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 beautiful story when it kind of builds up over time and starts to just mean something to you and you almost can't tell why but it does now so i i really like that for you thank you and, for me, and you know what like, like building on the building on the cinderella answer like obviously that was the original animated one that I had my my crying moment with, but Whitney Houston, Brandy's Cinderella, was always one of my favorite things. Wh- whenever that came out, we, we had it on VHS, and I would watch it all the time. And since it came out on Disney Plus like a couple of weeks ago, I have been... It's just, I like, I feel <laughs> that in my soul again, how I felt watching that movie. And obviously, it's also... Uh, just a, a 
killer cast. I can't recommend it highly enough. I haven't seen it. I should. (laughs) (gasps) Yeah. (laughs) Please. I'll do a watch party with you. Yes, absolutely. It's a date. Wonderful. All right, Eric, you have something for us to wrap it up. I do. I have a game. And like every good episode of this podcast, this was made up during the course of recording in my brain (laughs) and is not well planned out. And it is a surprise. I love it. To almost everyone involved. In fact, it is to everyone involved. I didn't explain Shalil at all, per usual. So (laughs) in the film Into the Spider-Verse, a very important component of it is, of course, the multiverse. And the idea that there are, in fact, possibly an infinite number of Spider-Man from all kinds of different worlds, including Spider-Noir and Spider-Ham and uh, all kinds of folks, right? So here is my question to you. You have to take one other property. It can be a book, it can be a movie, it can be a TV show. You have to take that property. It cannot be an existing superhero property. <laughs> and you have to tell me which character from that thing is the Spider-Man from the multiverse, you know, alternate dimension in which that entity is in fact the Spider-Man of that world because it exists because there's an infinite number. So in order to help explain this or, or to kind of model it, I'll give my answer first. My answer is, I don't know their names because they all blend together for me because they're all one syllable and I'm bad with white women's names. Uh, Florence Pugh's character in Little Women, that's definitely that universe's Spider-Man. Right? Like, not even close. She's Spider-Man. Is that Joe? That's not Joe. That's somebody. Amy? No, Joe What's was Sharsha Ronan. Right. What's Florence Pugh's character? Amy. It's Amy. Because Beth's the other one. Thank you. Amy is Spider-Man in that universe. Uh, it's definitive. That's who it is. <laughs> uh, and she is a, like, that era Spider-Man too, which is... I think my favorite part, like it's definitely going to be some period piece Spider-Man costuming going on there. Uh, And her whole shtick is she can't, you know, she basically has to decide between being Spider-Man or staying at home and taking care of the family or uh, falling in love with frickin' uh, Timothy Chalamet. And it's like a whole complex situation. It's like a little bit of, you know, it's a little bit of a period piece romance Spider-Man. That's that's my pick for who I would enter into the Spider-Verse world. Okay. <laughs> so you're picking you are you are picking a character from a property, a movie, TV show, book, anything. Can't be a superhero. And you are basically you have to pick which character you would put into the Spider-Verse sequel, if you want to think of it that way, as another multiverse Spider-Man. Okay. My answer and I, I don't have any justification beyond I would just love to see this for as many hours as humanly possible is Daniel Craig in Knives Out. I just want him to be <laughs> spider Bond. I was trying to come up with a Knives Out answer. I love you. I, I had to say it before you because awesome. I knew you were going to say Knives Out. What I, is his yeah. name? Detective? Official something? Knives Out. <laughs> Benoit Blanc. Incredible. Benoit, Benoit Blanc. Blanc. Spider Blanc. Spider this is Blanc. awesome. Oh and God. he would yes. keep the accent the entire time. It's and in the contract. Nicholas Cage's Spider-Man, how to solve the Rubik's Cube. Oh, it would be poetic. That is an excellent answer. And what is his costume? Like, it, 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 because we've already got like Spider Noir as the hard-boiled detective. So how does Spider Blanc stand out? Oh, I like to think it's vintage, you know, like only him. Mm. He kind of flickers WandaVision style. Mm. He, and he has the coin. Vintage. 
Yeah. I like wow. that a lot. I like that a lot. Okay, so I'm going a very different direction, which is good. I, I was like, I can't do Knives Out. I had to set that boundary for myself. Uh, have you all seen Bend It Like Beckham? Sure yeah. have. I think Jess from Bend It Like Beckham, the, the main character in that movie, would be a phenomenal Spider-Man, and she'd have the soccer ball, and that would be related to her powers. Soccer, soccer-based Spider-Man? That's awesome. Yes. And I'm assuming that the, the so Spider-Man cool. costume is like jersey based or or otherwise soccer paraphernalia based. Yeah, absolutely. It would be kind of like in the Spider-Gwen direction where yeah. you know she has like the ballet flats and everything that fit her uh spider Jess would have right. cleats. I love Man, that. That's so good. That's a what a team. What a team that we've put together. That's who I think we should submit to to Chris Miller and Lord and and see if they'll put them in the movie. Shoot them an Do email. Do you guys see <laughs> that they're planning to incorporate the glitch from the Miles Morales Spider-Man game. Have you seen this? No. <laughs> what is Okay, that? so <laughs> so the Spider-Man video game where Miles Morales is yeah. the main character, there was a glitch that somebody posted online where their character just turned into a patio heater <laughs> and was running around New York <laughs> fighting crime. <laughs> And the Spider-Man creator commented on it, and he's like, I don't know how we're going to work this in plot-wise, but we'll be idiots if we can't work this into the movie. <laughs> we can't figure I, it out. That's I awesome. have faith. So I'm just very excited for the scene where Miles turns into a patio heater. And nobody notices because it's New York. Yeah, exactly. That's great. Sounds wonderful. All right. I have a, a, a rapid, round, simple, but always fun question for us all um, right at the end, which is just, what's your favorite... A uh, line from this movie, or character, or uh, just thing about it. Like if you've got a quirk or just a thing that you love so much, because it's a movie that's a list of things we love. So what's the number one on your list? Um, I'll kick us off uh, <laughs> very quickly. I'm cheating. I got two, but it's gonna take thirty seconds. My favorite line is when they're racing out of Alchemax and. Uh, Peter B. Parker grabs <laughs> uh, grabs the monitor from uh, Miles and is like, I'll give you the good news. We don't need the monitor. It just cracked oh, me up so for good. a good 10 minutes in the theater. <laughs> I was like, that's that so funny. No, it's so good. And Jake Johnson is perfect for that line. So good. And my real quick favorite thing about this movie that I tell people to convince them to watch it is that you could actually pause it at any point and it looks like a, a, a piece of art. And or the perfect uh, slice of a comic book, like a page of a comic book, no matter You're what right. scene or what second you pause it on. Wow, incredible. This is so hard. There's just so many wonderful things. I think I am going to go with, there is, uh, man, this is such an easy answer, but the shot when he is uh, diving off of the building, when he's like finally actualized as Miles, that whole sequence is obviously beautiful, but mm. it's sort of what you just said. Like there's one pause moment in particular when he is, um, he's not falling in a controlled way yet. He's basically like loose bodied head down and he's reflecting against the skyscraper that he's looking at. That mm. is just gorgeous. And I, I, I would probably put myself into financial trouble in order to get like a lithograph of that, like to get an animation mm-hmm. cell or whatever, like a blown mm-hmm. up original cell or, or whatever. Um, yeah, I, I'd, I'd probably, I don't know how to take out a mortgage, but I'd do it. That, that sounds, <laughs> I'd do that. 
<laughs> I will buy a house and take out a mortgage. <laughs> that scene gives me physical chills. I am so glad you said that one. When the glass cracks because he's still nervous, but he takes the leap of faith. Oh. The way it syncs up with What's Up Danger. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. All right, Jordan. Okay. The big one. I'm going to be like Shalila. I also have two. Um, so I really love when it's like in that the big scene where they're all fighting him in the uh, particle accelerator and they're fighting side by side, Peter and Miles, Peter B. Parker and Miles. And Peter B. Parker goes, I love you. I am so proud of you. <laughs> it just really like <laughs> just yeah. the fact it's just so beautiful oh my gosh it's so wonderful and like the emotion in his voice is perfect and Mm. knowing all of the friction that they went through to get there and how much character growth peter b parker had to go through to get there i think is phenomenal and then Mm. uh following that just as like my favorite funny moment i think the timing of the when they're the three of them are fighting doc ock and peter b parker goes uh Buckle up, team. This is going to take a while. And then the bus comes out of nowhere is just the best punchline. Every time I see it, it really gets me. Oh, that's so many good comedy moments in this movie. Like when Nick Cage is Spider-Man and Spider-Hammer on the couch and... Nick Cage just keeps asking what the different colors on the Rubik's Cube are. And John Lee keeps going, no, no. (laughs) And he gets like pretty depressed about it. Yeah. (laughs) Do you ever let the flames burn down to your fingers just to feel something, anything? (laughs) It's one of the greatest line deliveries in the past 10 years. Oh, Nick Cage. Where is that wind coming from? (laughs) (laughs) I just washed my hands. That's why they're wet. No other reason. Incredible. (laughs) Or looks like a kid in a spider-man costume dragging a homeless corpse behind a train wow yes <laughs> that one too great scene great scene it's worth saying that when this movie was just out at the end of other movies sometimes or no maybe at the beginning they would do like a eight minute thing where they showed that entire scene like where he comes across peter b parker at the graveyard and then gets dragged and yeah. then they all fall that entire scene they would show for free Whoa. in theaters just to promote the movie. So that's oh, I something. Love that. Yeah. I forgot about that. They used to, they, they played a lot of that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Sells itself. <laughs> well, this has been our uh, lovely tribute and exploration of why we love Into the Spider-Verse so much. It is a wonderful movie. I assume it's still on Netflix. Oh my I, gosh, it's I, not. I, it oh, is no. this no okay so <laughs> getting back to our conversation about how something needs to change with streaming Crap. this movie in particular is sparking a huge conversation uh the verge has a great article about it for anybody who wants to nerd out like me spider-verse left netflix at the end of the year but because it's sony and sony doesn't technically belong to one of the other streaming houses it's not anywhere yet and so that's one of the things that's prompting this huge conversation about how fragmented streaming is getting and how there maybe needs to be a reckoning about it so again Wait, thank you into the spider-verse it's not for... even on it's not even on uh stars they have like all the spider-man movies right now why wouldn't they put it on there also, Sony has their own streaming service. Why don't they just put it on there? That's so confusing. I, yeah, no, I'm also <laughs> lost and confused and upset. So confused. 
But it did validate right. the fact that I purchased this movie a week before they put it oh, on Netflix. Absolutely. Absolutely. It should be purchased. It is worth it. Yeah. I also right. want to brag well, that it's on UK Netflix. So, mm. well, aren't you cool? You <laughs> well, all that was to say, if you want to watch it, I guess it's a lot harder to watch it than I thought. Uh, but you should Sorry. buy it. It is absolutely worth the purchase price. It is it's just, it's ridiculously yeah. good. Or uh, get a UK VPN, apparently. Yeah. yeah, or get a UK VPN. So, Into the Spider-Verse, go watch if you haven't already. It deserves all the love and more than it got. Uh, so, go do that. Um, this has been wonderful. Uh, thank you so much for being our first guest, Jordan. Oh my gosh, thanks again for having me. This was great. Yeah, yeah we is, appreciate it. This is it. such a big deal. It really is. <laughs> what a great I, movie I'll to I'll add it to my LinkedIn tonight. <laughs> we can endorse it. Yeah. I don't even have That's my current true. job on my LinkedIn. I shouldn't I shouldn't say that. I can't wait to become the kind of podcaster who puts their podcast on their LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that's coming up next for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So sure. uh, we'll do our, our kind of usual little quick fire thing here. Jordan, do you have anything you want to plug uh, either anything like that you just think deserves to get a little more love out in the world and or uh, obviously anything that you yourself are working on or a part of? Yeah, I'll just recycle, I guess, the two plugs that I've already given during this podcast. Uh, please go read The Verge's coverage of the conversation around streaming and specifically how it relates to Into the Spider-Verse and Whitney Houston's Cinderella streaming now on Disney Plus. And I love the dissonance between those two recommendations I just gave. Wonderful. And where can they find you on the internet, Jordan? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter. I don't tweet very often, but I do retweet a lot of stuff from my news station if you live in Chicago or if you're a fan of cute animal videos. That also gets a lot of traction from me. Uh, on Twitter, at Jordan A. Tilly. Jordan is spelled G-E-O-R-D-A-N because my mother is a very cool and original lady. She sure is. Awesome. Uh, well, as always, you can find Are You Still Watching on any of your typical podcast networks, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Blue Apron, um, <laughs> uh, Casper Mattress, all the things. Uh, you can easily find the link to every one of those if you go to twitter.com. Uh, That's not how you search on Twitter. That's just not it. But you could. I think you could do this. If you go to twitter.com slash... Uh, AYSW pod, then you will arrive at our, our Twitter. Alternatively, you can just go to at AYSW pod, where you will find uh, Shalila and I's uh, Twitter accounts as well. Uh, we would love to uh, A, follow us because we're sometimes funny. I'm, I, I think it's very good for us to be realistic. <laughs> you know, we're not always funny, but we're, we're sometimes funny on the internet. So, uh, you know, Come and enjoy and find the links there. Alternatively, and in addition to, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash AYSW. We would love it if you could support us uh, as this helps us continue to make the podcast because it turns out that it's not free uh, <laughs> to do this. Who knew? Who knew that the world was mostly bent on making the things you enjoy not free? <laughs> Who knew? Uh, but, uh, we are uh, always post our episodes there as well. And we've got some kind of exciting content coming down the line. It's, it's in the works. It's in the queue that is probably going to be exclusive to the Patreon. So, uh, if you've got a dollar to spare a month or anything like that, we would love to have you support us there. Um, and, uh, yeah, 
I think I think that's about it. This has been so lovely. Thank you so much for coming and for being our first guest, our our first annual first ever guest. Uh, <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. Does this mean I'll We're see you get all? Like a, like a Girl Scout badge, you know, like a little like a little pin thing for you. <laughs> oh, I would wear that proudly. That's great. Well, this has been Into the Spider-Verse with our wonderful guest, Jordan. Uh, any parting words for Shalila? No, I never do. But you always ask, which is very kind. I always do. Always make sure. Well, uh, I'll leave it there then. Have a good night, everybody. And I hope you watch Into the Spider-Verse. Bye.